0: folks, and welcome to another episode of Encourage, Build, Grow. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and I'm excited to be here with you today. You know, as we've said before, Encourage, Build, Grow is essentially a podcast for design professionals, but it's not by a design professional because I'm not a design professional, but I've worked with design professionals for more than two decades. And I'm excited today to kind of share with you some information and a colleague that I ran across recently on LinkedIn, which is a great place to meet people. I mean, more business gets done on LinkedIn than anything else. I'm convinced of it. And, you know, a lot of people back in the day, my parents and other folks had the benefit of Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And nowadays, we have all this electronic media at our disposal and electronic interactions. And so you can meet somebody halfway across the world and make a connection with them. That's actually genuine and kind of build it from there. And I have the benefit of having this platform of a podcast that I do every week. And I really, I'm just blessed to be connected with a lot of really great people. And my next guest is, I'm just excited to have her on because we just met serendipitously through someone else that was on one of my previous podcasts. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But Ellen Binsky is a principal CEO and CFO. That's a lot at Turner Fleischer Architects in Toronto, Canada. And so this is actually, we want to welcome her to the Encourage Build, Grow podcast. I'm excited because this is the first time that we've brought somebody on from north of the border. So Ellen, without further ado, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing fantastic today. Thank you so much, Randy, for inviting me to have this conversation with you. And we, we're really trying to do you know, take that border away and and really make the, the space between Canada and the States, you know, not so far apart.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I'd love to talk about borders, but borders seem to be a very hot topic here in the United States. And as somebody that's actually from the United States, you know what I'm talking about. So we'll keep it more in the AE design space, although I'm sure you your firm could design a wall for us or build a border. But uh, <laughs> if anything, I'm trying to break. I'm we don't trying, want that. No, I'm trying to break borders down and break walls down and create an open dialogue anywhere that I can. So I appreciate you mm-hmm. coming on to the show. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Yeah. So I want you to just tell us a little bit about who Ellen Binsky is. I want you to talk about your role there at Turner Fleischer. I mean, you have a really interesting story. I mean, you, you are not One of the reasons why I brought you on to the podcast after I we exchanged conversation on LinkedIn after another podcast episode that I did was because you kind of signaled that, hey, you know, we need to have more conversations like this about people that take an alternate path to work in the design space. And what I mean by an alternate path is that they're not a traditional engineer or they're not a traditional architect. Or even a traditional landscape architect for that matter, but that they have a desire to work within the confines of in the construct of the design industry and provide support, provide guidance and provide wisdom that is able to make a difference in this industry. And you've done that for over 30 years working in this space. And I would just love for you to just kind of share with the audience, give us the cliff note version of your superhero origin story and how you got to where you are today.
1: Sure, superhero, that's fabulous. So when I started my career, which was about 35 years ago, I worked in a computer company and, and rose to sort of a, a position of, of running that company in a five-year period of time. And what I really learned about myself was running a company and all of the different aspects of a company was definitely my passion. I just didn't want to do it at that company for the person who owned that company anymore. And I looked for an alternate opportunity. 30 years ago, the only thing we had was the newspaper. And I found a little ad in the newspaper from Peter Turner Architect saying that they needed somebody in their accounting department. And I saw the ad on a Thursday, walked in on a Saturday and met Peter Turner and immediately knew that he was somebody that I would like to work with him for. And he handed me a box of software that was unopened and said, can you install this computerized accounting software? And I thought to myself, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what this software is. I don't know anything about the architecture industry, except I've always been fascinated by design. And so I thought, sure, I can do that for you. And in March, that'll be 30 years ago (laughs) that I walked in on the Monday morning and made it happen. And... Really, over the years, when I started the firm, probably had about 10 people, yeah. and we are now up over 155. So I've been here through all of that growth and transition.
0: So I'm assuming Peter has retired.
1: Peter's still here. Peter's, oh, still Peter, we're, okay. we're, the firm is celebrating our 45th anniversary this wow. year, and Peter just celebrated his 75th birthday, and he travels a lot and he does his own thing, but he still comes in enough that he can share his wisdom with all of the young architects we have here today.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. You know, it's funny. Now, one of the issues that we, and I want you to continue on, but I I do want to interject that I find it remarkable in the design industry space that we actually have so many principals and leaders that well into their 70s continue working and like working. And now I get it that some, some are doing it by necessity, right? Because there's no transition plan in place. There's There is no, you know, there is no end of the day for them. I mean, it's just like, I'm just going to do this until I'm done. And when I mean done, I mean, and, but then there's some people that are like, you know, this is just my passion. It's my calling. It's, I can't breathe without doing this. So I need this as much as I need air. And I really, I really respect people that are like that. And I actually personally hope that I can work until, I tell I don't need air anymore because I just think that there's something, there's something about that. And I had people, I had examples in my life of people that work well into their eighties at a high level and really made a difference. So I just like to think that as long as I can make a difference, I'm going to. And it sounds like uh, Peter is still doing that and impacting yes. people. And I think that's great, but I'd love for you to just continue. So you, you worked your way up and. The other thing I was going to point out is that you did something that i I always encourage young people to consider when somebody asks you if you can do something don't say no just say yes mm-hmm. and then figure it out We have this wonderful Absolutely. we have this wonderful there's two things that you have at your disposal one is called g o o g l e and the second one is called y o u t u b e between the two of those Google and youtube and I'm being funny but I'm not you can figure out most things. And then if you need some help after that, that's when you can call in some reinforcements. But I love the fact that Ellen was willing to take on something that she wasn't even sure she could do, but she was like, yep, yes, and let's figure this out. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome.
1: It's interesting. We've been having a lot of conversations recently about this topic, and I tell people, and I age myself here, and I hate to do that, but when I started thirty years ago we didn't have Google and we definitely did not have YouTube. And so learning for me was a much more solitary process. And I had the instruction manual that came with the software. And I had the helpline that I could call and and that was really about it. And so I tell young people today, you know, my gosh, they have all of that information at their fingertips that they really I mean I do it every day. I start every day with either a podcast or an article or something that I'm learning to start my day in the way of of being open. And because in my role, I never know what's going to hit me in any moment of the day. And so I need to start every day with that attitude of I'm going to learn from everything and I'm going to figure out how to deal with it as it comes. So I taught myself how to implement this software. And in the process of doing that, I learned about the workflow of a professional services firm. So running a computer company, we had, you know, products and returns and defective merchandise and shipping and all of that and when I started to realize that, you know, all we had to manage was people, I was like, okay, I think I found my home because my degree in psychology was all about people. And so if I took that and added the business processes to it, it was a win-win for me and and that's sort of where it all started. And for many, many years I was, you know, de facto running the company behind the architects that owned the company. And they'll tell you honestly, in their opinion, that left to their own devices, <laughs> this <laughs> this would never be where it is now because that's just not how their minds work. They're passionately right. creative individuals that are not focused on process, that aren't focused on efficiency, that aren't focused on financial metrics and indicators, and that, you know, having somebody in the mix that kept them in line and kept them focused where they needed to be focused, took me a few years to make them realize that this would be a role that would be great to have at the partner table. And once that happened it really opened up just a whole new world for me in saying okay now let's really set this firm on the path that it's going to take in order to let us grow and achieve what we want to achieve
0: yeah no i love that i mean that is that's awesome and i think that you know the challenge here is that i wonder if there is a even a remote difference between how design professionals or engineers and architects think and operate up north of the border in Canada versus how they are here in the States. Because, you know, in the States, that's proverbial response that I always heard, especially when recruiting is everybody, so-and-so has to be a licensed professional. We want this person to be this, this, and that. And, you know, over the years, you didn't see a lot of examples of people in design firms that were, that did not take the traditional path to either ownership or to some form of leadership within the organization.
1: I believe that it's the same north of the border. And I've talked to many, many people throughout my years. And and it was a struggle. I was told definitively that I would never be a partner because I was not an architect. And, you know, I'm a fighter. And I felt passionately about this firm. And the longer I stayed and the more that I built the infrastructure to the firm and the more that I saw how I could impact the lives of the people in the firm, the more I was determined that I was going to be a partner in the firm and I was going to be part of the next era of the firm and I did not back down. And I think that that's, you know, another great message for people is, you know, when someone says, no, don't walk away, just try harder. Yeah. And if, mm-hmm. you're, if you're confident in what you can do and the value that you can add, you know, you may come to a point eventually where you say, okay, I'm not going to bang on that, on that door anymore. But I can tell you from my story that, you know, I banged on it for a while and got through it. And if you were to ask my partners today if they felt that having a non-architect as a partner was a worthwhile role to add, they would say unequivocally, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, I've always been of the mindset that variety adds a spice of life, but I also thought that. You know, we talk a lot about diversity and diversity looks differently in a lot of different ways. We're not just talking about hiring, you know, more minorities or more women, but it's just diversity of thought and ideas and having Mm -hmm. a difference of opinions and maybe a different lens in terms of the way that you look at things. And I would imagine that one of the big things that you brought to the table was that your lens was different than a lot of Mm -hmm. your peers that serve in leadership there at Turner Fleischer. So, I think that that's important.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, again, aging myself, but you know, going back all those years, I do think that there was a, it was there was some bit of function of women in leadership mm-hmm. that needed to be overcome as well as, you know, a non-registered professional in leadership. And it's an interesting little story, but when I first started after a while I got frustrated with the creative designers and their sort of inability to see things numerically and understand that. And I went through a brief moment in time where I thought I should actually go work for an engineer because they're numbers based and they would be more logical and it would be easier. And But then the longer that I stayed, the more that I realized that I could make a bigger impact here. And also for me personally, being in this creative design environment fueled me to want to do more. And I love being part of that whole design process. So, I ended up realizing that I could I could make this space work.
0: Yeah. So, wow. I mean, there's so many things I want to ask you. So, what I mean, there sure. are obviously other people. I mean, in, in that are in the position that you're in, but at maybe at a lower level within their organization. Mhm. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give them in terms of how they are to navigate those waters in try to even broach or have those conversations with leadership to encourage them to be more open to and receptive to the ideas and some of the things that this, an individual that doesn't have a traditional engineering and architecture background wants to bring to the table, what advice would you have for them?
1: I really, my best advice for that is to be confident in your abilities. And be confident in that you have something to add, that you can show them exactly what you were referring to, that differentiated lens. And so don't be afraid to reach out to leadership and ask for a meeting and show them examples of what you think and how you can benefit their operation and what you can bring. And if you are confident that you can do that and you can change the conversation, I believe that they will listen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think that's actually one of the things that the individual that I uh, interviewed on episode five of the podcast, which was Kara Clower from Laco. And I think that's the, that's the podcast that you may have listened to and that you responded to a post that mm-hmm. i put on LinkedIn. And I think, you know, she's a prime example of somebody that just didn't take no for an answer and, you know, certainly asserted herself in a way, in a professional way that let people see that, you know, she was in it to win it and that she wasn't going to just sit on the sidelines and allow somebody to dictate what her career would be. She stepped up and stepped up in a huge way where even over a period of time that I've known her, I've watched her grow into a level of leadership and she just owned it. And I think people, I think you have to own it. You have to be willing to say, you know what, I know that, you know, you have to act as if, as if you... uh, Yeah. Yeah. So what were you going to say?
1: Well, absolutely. Well, I was speaking at a conference last year and Kara was in the audience and she came up to me afterwards and was like, you know, okay, you're where I need, I want to be. And we were able to have some conversations in that moment of exactly that, that I could tell from talking to her, she's got what it takes. And That was exactly my advice to her is just be confident in yourself and go and grab it because it's right there at your fingertips and you can do this. And so it really does just come back to believing in yourself that you can do it and that, you know, and there's a need, there's a real need. I meet a lot of companies and a lot of people that, you know, there's a disconnect between the leadership in a firm and the direction it may be going. And people that they may have sitting in a finance department or a marketing department or an admin department that have great ideas, but they're not open to listening to them because they feel like they know the industry better because they're the professionals. And what we need to do and what part of what I want to be doing is to empower those other people in this industry to really, you know, have the courage to make that leap.
0: Yeah, it's almost like, yeah, as you say that, and I think about it, and I can remember back in the day when I would recruit for certain large engineering firms, and it was, you know, the engineers were up here, and I'm using my hand to kind of show up up here in the stratosphere, and everybody else, admin, marketing, HR, you name it, they were down below supporting everything that the engineers did, but they were looked at, they were looking, you, were, the engineers were looking down on them. Yeah. metaphorically. And its it, I think that's one of the big challenges. And what I have seen lately in the design industry space is several owners, several leaders like yourself that have asserted themselves and had a better understanding for how business should be run and have fundamentally made a difference for their organizations. And one person that comes to mind, and I've talked about him in the past, he's a mm-hmm. good friend. His name is Ozzy Nelson. He runs Nelson which is a, a design studio out of Minnesota and they work all over mm-hmm. the country all over the world for that matter doing all kinds of amazing things and Ozzy is just a great we'll actually have him on a podcast episode coming up soon but Ozzy is a great example of someone you know you would think he had an architectural background but he was a, a business he studied business in college his dad ran an interior design firm and he kind of de facto took it over eventually and took it from nothing to almost $200 million right now. Mm -hmm. And I would Mm -hmm. wonder, my question would simply be is if he was a, could he have done that if he was just, not just an architect, but an architect or an engineer, would he have had the wherewithal to kind of maybe what his thinking have been different had he been, you know, classically trained in that space? And that's just, that's that's just an interesting question. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I could also look to a lot of other successful engineers and architects that are classically trained and have basically grown super profitable companies. I'm thinking of Chris Huckabee. With, with Huckabee is an architectural firm based out of Fort mm-hmm. Worth, Texas. They pretty much own the K-12 through 12 market in Texas. And Texas is one of the fastest growing areas of the United States. And I mean, Chris Huckabee basically took his dad's company over and just blew it off into the stratosphere. And he is a classically trained architect. So it goes either way. I just think that there is some type of recipe there for how an individual will be successful within an organization, whether or not they have that classically trained engineering or architectural background. And, and I think trying to break that code and figure out what that recipe is, is, is very valuable.
1: I do. I think that to find the combination, especially in architecture, of people that have that business strategy and the design sense of an architect, those are are hard to find. And I'm always seeking those people in terms of, you know, transition and bringing new people into our firm that can rise up and continue to to take this firm into the future. So I, I, but I also think, you know, I know for myself, one of of my passions is technology and innovation. And I'm fascinated by what's happening in our world and in the AEC industry right now. And, I have have taken it upon myself to become super knowledgeable in a lot of areas of innovation and it's one of the things that I speak about at conferences and I lead the digital practice department of my firm and, you know, I'm not a coder and I don't really, you can ask my, my partner, Steve, I'm not even sure how to work my iPad, but I can understand, you know, the A lot of it comes down to problem solving and what are we trying to do? And so, again, if you're thinking about efficiencies, how can scripting and coding help our workflows be more efficient? I can certainly understand that. I can certainly understand the efficiencies of working in Revit and in BIM and in collaboration and in communication. And that gets back to, you know, the human, right? Like BIM is people, process, and technology. Well, you know, I'm people, I'm process. And so all I needed to do is have the interest in technology. And I can, you know, I sit in meetings oftentimes and people will be like, you know, you're not the architect. i like, no, but I, I can speak it. That's for sure. And so I, I don't think you need to be in the space. And I think that you just need to be open minded. And again, gets back to wanting to learn and wanting to solve all of those problems and, and define those strategies and set the roadmap for how everybody is going to get there.
0: Yeah. No, I that that is um I love that. What so and you bring up one of my favorite topics, which is technology and innovation. And I'd be curious to know what are you seeing on the horizon in the design industry space, something that we need to kind of get a hold of sooner rather than later and embrace, but you're not seeing other firms embrace it. Because I know that there's still some firms that are living in the dark ages when it comes mm-hmm. to technology and innovation, but you know, I just think they're in denial, but uh, I'd be curious to yeah. know what, you, what your thoughts are about that, since you not only are dealing with it on a regular basis, but you also talk about
1: it. We, um, you know, we have an interesting vantage point here from Canada. Canada is definitely more conservative mm-hmm. and so a bit slower to adopt. It's not mandated from the government, so we don't have BIM being utilized in P3 projects that are necessarily pushing it down into the private sector like you have in, in other countries. And so we've made it our mission that we're going to get out of our four walls here and extend ourselves as far as we need to, to be able to learn what the best and the brightest are doing. So my partner, Steve Nonis and I, you know, we've been spending the better part of last year traveling around the world, you know, starting in North America and then going over to Europe and really seeing what people are doing. And there's so much going on that it's not even about BIM anymore. It's about. As I was saying, it's about scripting and it's about generative design. And there's so many, you know, visualizations and virtual reality and AI and all of these things are happening all at once. But one thing that we noticed and believe in very much here is it's how do you get all of that technical knowledge from innovation into the hands of your staff? because it's great for Steve and I to be like oh yeah we want to be doing virtual reality but then we've got 155 people that need to learn what does that actually mean and how do they leverage programs like Enscape to be able to create these views and these fly throughs. and so one thing that we've chosen to do here at Turner Fletcher we've got a very large focus on learning in our organization mm-hmm. we have an academy that is a pretty robust platform for learning and we just finished constructing what we're calling our lab. And that's a, a space that has the most latest and greatest up-to-date technology in it so that we can have 16 of our staff sitting together learning whatever we need them to learn in order to leverage technology. So be it Dynamo or Enscape or Navisworks or or even you know how to use Revit in a more intense way. They all have individual laptops and we can accelerate that learning process through this new space that we have. And we can also bring our clients into this space and teach our clients because if your clients don't understand the benefit of all this technology, even though you tell them you're not charging them more for it, they're frightened. Right. So now I have the ability to bring them in, to have them put on the VR goggles and walk through their project, to have them sit in a coordination meeting with all of the consultants in one room and a really, you know, in a room that's conducive to doing this. And in the three weeks that our space has been open, we have seen the return on this investment in a huge way. So I think that, you know, you have to be out there learning and bringing in the technology and then you have to teach it.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I that's great. I, I like hearing that, especially the Turner Fleischer Academy. I'd be curious to know, if, are you keeping track of how you guys are using this academy and how it might be benefiting you as a retention tool for your people, meaning that they don't find the need to go somewhere else where they think the grass may be greener because they're getting everything that they need right there at your firm?
1: Well, that's, that's a big part of our culture. I want to make sure that my staff have the opportunities to grow and develop their careers while they're in our building and they can they can aside from just the inherent knowledge that they're getting they can also get all of their accreditation hours through our academy so literally they don't have to go anywhere after work and go to any sessions anywhere else but we also have an interesting thing going on here that I know a lot of firms are facing these days and I heard this at a presentation a few years ago and I've stolen it and used it for myself but we've got we've got the greens and the grays going on and my demographics in my firm is I've got over 80% of my staff are under the age of 44. Wow. And so, yeah.
0: 80%. Yep. Wow.
1: Yep. And so that brings a whole different, you know, challenge and opportunity to running the studio. And so I've got all of these young people who have great technology skills, right? They've grown up in a world filled with it. They it, It's They just inherently know it, right? You see two-year-olds with iPads and iPhones, whatever. But they don't have the years of architectural experience. And then I've got the Greys who have all of the years of architectural experience, maybe not so much the technology experience, but Mm -hmm. these two groups of people need to be learning from each other and they need to be learning with each other. And so a big part of our academy, when we're determining what courses and, and electives and workshops we offer, is trying to really think about what knowledge do the greens need that the grays have and vice versa. Yeah. And so it it, it also helps bridge that gap between the two.
0: I love that. So do, I, is is that greens and the grays? Is that trademark? Because I, I love that idea. <laughs> I want to share that with somebody. I no, that that's. I don't a,
1: remember. <laughs> Who told me that? But but yeah. in in our presentations that we do or the presentation that we have a, a really great graphical chart of the age groups in our office. And yeah. you know, after 44, those those bars on that chart, as small as they may be, those are gray and the right. the big, you know, bars are, are green.
0: But that but you know, and it's so funny, you're absolutely right. It's a two way street from a learning process. It really is, because mm-hmm. I learn stuff from young people every day. And and young, and I try to impart as much wisdom and knowledge as I can to anyone that will listen. If you're open to listening, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to share until the cows come home. I'd be curious to know, do you guys have a standard mentorship program in place or have you, how do you encourage your young people to gravitate towards some of the grays or just to say, Hey, you know, you need to find a mentor. Maybe it isn't within the four walls of Turner Fleischer, but it might be someplace else. What do you guys, how are you guys dealing with that?
1: So we created the role of, we call it a practice advisor. And we created this role about six or seven years ago, maybe, maybe less. I don't know. Time flies so quickly. But practice advisor is a role that currently one of my partners and our senior associate have these titles. And what their role in the firm is, is exactly what you said. They provide one-to-one coaching for people. They teach numerous classes and workshops in the academy. They do practice advisor-led site visits where each quarter they pick different projects and they take a group of staff and anybody can apply to go on these and they walk them through the sites because we find that that's that's something that a lot of firms don't do. You don't Mm -hmm. get to go to site until you're much farther along in your career, but we believe that that's doing a huge disservice to people that you're asking to create your models and but they don't understand what that detail actually looks like when it's built so why not give them the opportunity to go out to site and say oh yeah okay that's how it is because i promise you when they come back to the office and they open up that model they're going to be doing their work with way more intention and understanding yeah so they do this they do the site visits (laughs) they also have a program called um plus one so my partner jeremy does uh Jeremy plus one. And when he's going out to interesting meetings, if he's going to, if he's reviewing an interesting set of drawings, or if he's doing a site visit to solve a certain problem, he picks a person and it can be anybody across the firm and he brings them as his plus one. And so they get to just sit back and watch. And, you know, I think we found since we instituted this program is that there's certain learning you can do when you're sitting in a classroom and there's certain learning that you need to do by actually just watching and listening and observing. And so the role of practice advisor has really helped to, and anybody can go up to them, anybody can ask for their time. And it's really helped provide that vehicle for that institutional knowledge to get back to the young people. Wow.
0: Okay. I like that. I mean, you're full of really good ideas about different programs. I'll (laughs) I'll have to go through some of those because I mean, these are some things that I have, you know, not necessarily given them the same nomenclature, but it's the same ideas that I have shared with firms when I'm talking to p- companies about retaining good talent. I mean, a lot of this, a, a lot of what you said applies to that. And in the same way is attracting talent. You want people to know that they're going to yeah. come to a place and they're not just going to be a cog in the wheel, but that they're actually going to make a difference. And if nothing else, yeah. be better because of their time within that organization and un- unfortunately a lot of design firms can't lay that lay that claim at all
1: well and it's it's interesting and you know we I have this debate a lot again with people that I meet and and when we did in our presentations and when we did our podcast with uh, on the art of construction a few weeks ago you know everybody wants to talk about return on investment and they say to me you know you have <laughs> so many initiatives going on in your firm that are Non billable time and, and how do you justify that? And, you know, the first thing I say, it's, you know, I've got that interesting role as a CEO. I can have an idea and then I can turn around and ask myself, can I have the money for it? So I can put these things in place much more quickly than a lot of other firms. But if you know your staff and you as a firm are invested in your staff and in their growth and in their career development, then you see what the return on investment is because you see people achieving much greater success and reaching their goals much faster than they would without your help. And that's helping them. And then in turn, it's helping you. And then at the end of the day, it's helping our clients, which is really why we're here. Right, right,
0: right. No, (laughs) that's absolutely right. I mean, and I think that, you know, the ROI positive for anything that you do, That you bring to the table, it's worth taking the time to put these programs in place, and don't obsess so much about billable time because that, of course, that is the clarion. I mean, here in the states, that is the clarion call. Well, what you know, billable time is the is the most important thing. But you know, that billable time is great. But if you have all you if you all you have is a is a person billing time, but they're not adequately prepared to interact with their colleagues they're not adequately prepared to interact with the client, then I mean, what what are we doing here? You know, and I think there's some opportunities that firms are missing out on to have a fully engaged employee that is able to exercise their skill set and abilities across a wide area of projects that an individual's working on a company's working on. So I don't know. I just think there's, there's I, still room for growth there.
1: I hate the word utilization rates. I absolutely can't stand it. And and I meet so many people who come up to me after we speak and say, you know, I'm supposed to be eighty nine percent billable and if I'm not on Monday morning I get a report and it's highlighted in red and, and you know, I'm just I, I just think that stifles creativity, that stifles growth and and it's interesting because the people that don't actually work out at Turner Fleischer. Are really people and there are people and I, I talk a lot about you know a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset and if you come to my firm and you 've got a fixed mindset you won 't be happy here and that 's not a bad thing right people there there's having a fixed mindset isn't doesn 't have to be a negative thing, but you will find us totally annoying <laughs> because every moment we're you know let 's do you know attend this and do that and grow here and wh- what do you want to do and how do you want to grow and you know there are people that just want to come to work at 9 and leave at 5 and they want to you know doing door schedules all day would make them happy and and i've actually you know talked to people and said you know i think you would be better suited in a firm that that wasn't so growth based
0: right yeah no I, that yeah you're absolutely right and i think more firms are moving towards a growth mindset and operating from that perspective but you know again you have the benefit of talking about it the way that you do because you're at the top. And I think all of those conversations happen or start and emanate from the top. So if you have a mm-hmm. leader that's not, that has a fixed mindset, I think sometimes it's very hard to enter into those waters of what a growth mindset workplace looks like.
1: It is. And, and we get that a lot. And when Steve and I speak, we are often the only principles at these conferences in attendance and and let alone speaking. And it really shocks us every time that we go. And because if you want to affect change in your own organization, you have to understand what's going on out there. And you've got to be in that world. You can't do what well, in my opinion, what you just said, and sit at the top and and just, you know, tell people what they need to do without really being on the ground and, and understanding and, and understanding what the pain points are for other people in other firms. And so we're always, you know, while it makes our lives a little bit crazy because we're constantly traveling and, and, and coming back, and um, we're, we're about to embark on a number of these things in the next few months, but what we learn is invaluable.
0: Yeah. Well and again I think nowadays even with the travel right I mean there there is no excuse for not staying in contact with somebody I know physically you're not always there but you know the whole idea of management by walking around has kind of you know it doesn't uh, exist anymore because a you have remote workers I mean you have people that are always out in the field working with clients so your ability to manage effectively and you know, there's nothing like just checking in with a colleague or checking in with somebody that's under your charge, even via text, you know, in the morning, giving them an add a boy or add a girl and hey, go out mm-hmm. and have a great day and make it good. I think we sometimes miss out on using some of this technology that we complain so much about all the times to our advantage to continue to foster and grow relationships.
1: There's no question, and I can give a shout out here to a company called Knowledge Architecture because a few years ago, I was searching for a new intranet platform because I knew that I needed a better way to communicate with everybody as our firm grew. I knew I needed a better way to document our procedures and standards and workflows so that everybody in the firm knew exactly. I mean, we we created 450 documents in order to launch this project because most of it was in our heads. And it was like, well, of course, you know how to do that. And it's like, no, they don't. They're new. And I came across Knowledge Architecture's platform, Synthesis, at a conference that I was attending. And in the last two and a half years since we've had this platform, it has absolutely changed the way we work together as a firm and our culture within the studio. And exactly to your point about talking to people and sharing what we're doing. And when Steve and I are at conferences, we're posting back to our platform, which we call Newton. We're posting back to Newton. We're posting pictures. You know, hey, here we are. This is who we're talking to. And we're keeping that line of communication open so that everybody knows, Hey, this is going on. And, and it's been a, it's been a real game changer for us in terms of that. And I think for me, just as you and I met over LinkedIn, LinkedIn is just an incredible platform to stay in touch with people that you meet as you travel around. I've got so many amazing LinkedIn connections that we're learning from each other. Right. After, you know, we may meet once at a conference and we're going back and forth. I'm asking them questions. They're asking me questions. And Mm -hmm. so we can expand the knowledge sharing opportunities. And to your initial point, one of them of breaking down silos in the industry, which is a personal mission of mine, <laughs> that if we all are talking together and sharing what we're doing, we can all get better together. And if we Absolutely. think that we've got some, you know, hidden proprietary knowledge that's going to, our competitive advantage should be in the deliverables and the client service that we give to our clients, not in, you know, sharing with anybody else about my intranet platform so that maybe somebody listening will go, oh, that sounds interesting. I'm going to give KA a call and I'm going to check that out, right? Yeah,
0: right. Exactly. And and that's how you should be passing that information around. And I, I know Christopher Parsons, uh, he's done some work with uh, the firm that I used to be a part of, Zui Group. And I think very highly of mm-hmm. him and his organization and what they're doing. And and they are about, I mean, they have, a. I think they have an annual conference and they just exchange ideas and yep. a lot of really good stuff happens. And I think that's, does not always, you know, it doesn't always have to be the quid pro quo of I do something for you, you do something for me. Nowadays, it's like, listen, I mean, sharing knowledge and information is tantamount to becoming, you know, becoming a the, an individual that is open to just new ideas. And I think no longer gone are the days of the gatekeeper, where only a couple of people right. all of the information. Now, all that is open and available. And if you're willing to consume it and be a part of the solution and not be a taker all the time but be a giver as well it comes back to benefit you a thousandfold
1: well, there's no question there's no question and and the the knowledge management community that that Chris and KA have been able to bring together through their annual conference KA connect has brought me so much knowledge and and I've learned so much from interacting with people in this amazing open sharing community i'm proud to announce that you know the today or tomorrow, I'm promoting somebody into the role of knowledge manager. Hmm. And it's a really important role that I feel is essential, not only in architectural practices in our industry, but every company. There is so much knowledge everywhere. When we were writing the role, it was like, oh, and, and wait over here and connecting this to that. And Forget about the whole concept of transition and as people retire, how do you get their knowledge? It's and so since I've been part of this knowledge management community, I've I knew the day was going to come when I would have somebody in this role and I am super excited for this announcement and to have this individual start to help us leverage our knowledge management even more.
0: Wow. That's exciting. Well, I'm I'm glad I can't I can't wait to hear that announcement and, and to learn more about what What you do with that particular role, because I I think that will be an example that other firms can see. And here's here's the important piece. And I'll I'll close with this as we as we wind this up. Because you've been so, I appreciate the time that you've taken to do this today. But my thing is, none of us, and when I say us, I mean anyone in the design industry space, none of us are alone in our efforts. There are always going to be shining examples. There are always going to be individuals that are willing to pull you aside and say, hey, we tried it this way and it didn't work, but we did this and that worked. And that's the one thing that I can say about the design industry space is that people aren't too territorial about their work product and how they do things and what makes them successful. They're willing to share. And you are a prime example of that because you travel around the world, you know, sharing your knowledge, sharing what has worked, what hasn't worked. And I'm sure you're pretty transparent about you know, your successes and even your failures. And I think that's important for people to recognize that, you know, if you're a design firm owner and you're struggling in a small market and you're you just like nobody understands what you're going through. I mean, there are people out there that are willing to help and to, if nothing else, give you some guidance and advice and kind of walk you through that. I think there are mentors everywhere if we want them. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And I I'm hosting some people today from another firm to share knowledge with them. And and I'm always open to it because I've learned so much from other people that if I can, and some of the best knowledge that I I share is from my failures. It's not always from the successes, but if I don't share it, it doesn't have as much impact in a positive way. And I just, like I said, I I think we can all get better by learning together than by learning alone.
0: Absolutely. You you couldn't have said it better. and. On that note, we'll put a pin in this conversation and what I mean by that is I definitely would like to uh, have it again at another point in time where we can continue on because I could talk to you all day long and I, I know that you have a lot to share and there's probably a lot of people listening to this particular podcast or will be listening to it that will have questions and certainly we will make sure that people have a way to reach you. If What's the easiest way for people to connect with you, Alan?
1: The easiest way for people to connect with me is just through my email. And it's really a simple one. It's ellen at turnerfleischer.com.
0: Okay. Yeah. We'll put that in. We'll put all of this. We're going to put a lot of stuff in the show notes so people know what we're talking about. I'm going to put a connection to Knowledge Architecture and KA Connect in the show notes. I'm going to put some references and, and there. And
1: LinkedIn always works. Oh, yeah. LinkedIn is
0: always I'll, great. I'll put your LinkedIn profile in there because that way, people can connect with you there. That's a, I think that's another easier professional way to connect. And then people can have an offline conversation with you and, and kind of build it from there. And, and we'll put Turner Fleischer's email, a uh, website address and whatever social media they have. We'll, we'll certainly put that in there. And we'll share that with all of those that have listened to this, because I think that this this particular podcast, this episode and the conversation that, that I was able to have with Ellen today, it's gonna to be really valuable for a lot of people, not just young people, let's getting into the industry because I think if nothing else, Ellen, you give people hope for what this industry can be in the future. And Kara is a great example of that. And that's why I think you Absolutely. chimed in and shared with what you shared. And so I'm going to be excited to see. I'm, I'm like, I'm Kara's biggest fan. And now that I know you, I'm your biggest fan too. Although you've been doing this a little bit longer, even than I have. So it's okay, but you're still, <laughs> you're still making it happen. And I always love, I always love to hear a great hero story. And so, I'm certainly going to be rooting for you and Turner Fleischer and all that you guys continue to do. And I mean, the story is still being written, so I wish you a lot of luck and congratulations on on where you are now and where you're going to go. And you you certainly are taking the North by storm. But we look forward to seeing what uh, what you guys are how you guys are able to impact even people south of the border of Canada, if you will. So
1: absolutely, thank you very much for for giving me the opportunity to speak with you today and to share share our story here. And I'm always willing to have another conversation. I get just as much out of it as you.
0: Oh, good. Well, I appreciate that. Well, thank you. Uh, We will definitely be in touch and uh, we'll make sure that everybody is aware of this particular episode. I think this is going to be one of our more listened to shows. I I always like to think that every podcast is going to be great. And it's not it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with the people that I bring on because you guys are what makes the difference. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, there you have it, folks. Ellen Binsky, principal, CEO and CFO of Turner Fleischer Architects out of the great uh, city of Toronto, Canada. We know Toronto because, uh, well, they just won a national championship in basketball. And so, and they will certainly not let us forget that. And that's okay. <laughs> but we're excited to bring in our cousins from the North in the design industry to just talk about what they're doing. And honestly, whatever they're doing up there, we should be doing down here and vice versa. So I hope you got a lot out of this particular episode. Remember, encourage, build, grow. Our focus is to create better leaders, better communicators, and ultimately better people on a regular basis. Remember, our podcast comes out every Thursday at noon and it drops at noon. It's technically noon Central Standard Time, which means 1 p.m. Eastern Time, but that's when the podcast drops. Please check it out. And uh, if you have any questions, if you know someone that might be an appropriate guest for the podcast, please, you can always reach me at randy at encouragebuildgrow.com. You can also check us out online at encouragebuildgrow.com. We appreciate you so much, and we will see you next week.